0: And we are live for episode number six of the Bronx Bomber Babble podcast. I'm your host, Matt, Luz, Luigi, and tonight I'm with Nick, and I'm with Andrew. How you guys doing?
1: I'm fantastic, and I'm ready for a good old-fashioned Bronx Bomber Babble After Dark episode. This is a late one.
0: Yeah, it's pretty. It's, uh...
2: we got a heavy news day to get into today, so uh, I hope a you're all with us We may be here until about midnight or later. Yeah, so ten thirty on the East Coast.
0: Uh, that could refer to a
1: lot of things.
2: <laughs>
0: the yeah, a lot of we were going to do an emergency episode earlier today, but we're kind of glad we didn't because a lot, a lot happened. Uh, guys getting released, guys getting signed. Um, busy day, a busy day for the Yankees. And uh, before we get started, I just want to say that we're on iTunes now. We're on Apple Podcasts. You could you the Yankees Podcast, where we're right up there and. Go, go give us a five-star rating and subscribe so you get all the episodes right right when they're uploaded. And we're also on SoundCloud, and obviously we're we're on YouTube. So just wanted to say that before we get started. Um, because Neil Walker is now a New York Yankee. And it's, I think this came a bit as a, a bit of a surprise, especially after getting Drury. Uh, I didn't think that Cashman was looking for another middle infielder, another second baseman, but... Long and behold, Neil Walker signs one year, five million with a uh, a sweet incentive. Literally, he's gonna get sweets <laughs> on the road. I I don't think I've seen that. Um, but yeah, so initial thoughts about the uh, Neil Walker before we before we get into what this means, like or what what effect this is gonna have on other players. What do you guys just think of us acquiring Neil Walker and him most likely being the uh, starting second baseman?
1: I kind of want to play Uh, who's that Pokemon baseball player edition. So I'm going to give you two 2017 stat lines from two baseball players that are now on the Yankees. Uh, Number one is a batting average of 265 with 14 home runs. And number two is going to be a batting average of 267 with 13 home runs. And who freaking cares? One is Neil Walker. One is Brandon Drury, And those are both really average stat lines. So To me, I think the Yankees got another Brandon Drury. um, A little bit older and a switch hitter. But, man, like, I look at it and people are kind of saying, oh, you know, 14 home runs, switch hitter, you know, that'll play well in Yankee Stadium. Well, we covered this for Brandon Drury. Half the league, it seems like, hit 20 home runs last year. So 14 home run pop is not a whole lot to write home about. So to me, I'm not particularly impressed by this acquisition, but I'm also starting to surrender myself to the fact that It looks like the Yankees are going to start Neil Walker at second base. It looks like the Yankees are going to start Brandon Drury at third base. And, you know, we saw last year with Chris Carter how hard it was to get rid of a guy who wasn't performing, you know, at his position with a major league contract, and I'm kind of worried about that with Neil Walker. If, you know, Torres is tearing it up, you know, down in the minors and Walker's scuffling, are the Yankees just going to kind of not want to swallow their pride and continue with Walker? So. I don't know. I again, to me, I look at this almost the same lens. I look at Drury and just say, I just don't think this was necessary. I think they have the guys to fill the second and third base positions uh, internally. So that's just kind of my reaction to the signing uh, on the surface.
2: I think there's a couple things you got to look at with the uh, the Neil Walker signing. First off, he's he's had a couple of serious injuries the the past few years. Uh, didn't he have I believe it was back surgery with the Mets in 2016, right before he. Uh, um, and that's what what led him to take the the qualifying offer because he didn't think he was gonna have a big market last off season. Um, part of, of that contract is uh, plate appearance driven. so you have hundred twenty five thousand dollar bonuses at four hundred twenty five, four fifty, four hundred seventy five and 500 plate appearances. Possibly he doesn't get that and then the base is only four mil. Uh, if you have guys like let's say, Torres or Ronald Torres playing out of his mind, or Tyler Wade, if his injuries is not really a big deal, maybe you can edge out Neil Walker. I, I think the Yankees were were interested in signing him before they even made the trade for for Brandon Jury, uh, and it turns out that they only pulled the trigger on getting both of them because the price for Walker dropped so much. Uh, I think he has a market value of anywhere between seven to ten million, and they got him for four million dollars base. Uh, it, it's it's puzzling. It does put a, a wrinkle in the Anduar and Torres' plan, and I, and I really don't know, you know where that leads the Yankees uh, over the next two or three months before they you know, they get the young kids up.
0: Yeah, uh, it it really is, because we were just talking about it, seems like yesterday, right, we, where we were so excited that there was a possibility that we, we were going to get to see Anduar, or we were going to get to see some of these young guys get some playing time and you know, the signing a jury was one thing. He said, okay, well maybe, maybe we're not going to see some of these young guys. And now with this signing, it, I, I thought this to myself earlier. I think the youth movement, I, I'm not going to say it's over, but I really do think that Cashman just said to himself, Hey, I'd rather have an established second baseman, a guy that I know can play at an MLB level at second, rather than testing one of these young kids that might not be ready. And I can't hate him for that, but it it is upsetting. It it is upsetting. Uh, maybe I I don't think they they trust Glieber. I think they uh, think they want him in the minors most of the year. Uh, we might not see Gliber till the summer. Our over and under was a hundred games for Gliber, and I think I said under, and that that's looking more and more likely uh, with every every veteran the Yankees sign. So. Do you guys see? Uh, obviously, Glaber's not getting traded. He's not going anywhere. But do you guys see Andujar or Wade or t- possibly even a Tyler Austin? Do you got? Do you see any of these guys getting moved uh, this season? Well,
1: I I think this is definitely the beginning of the end for Andujar because you look at the Yankees now. Now they have Neil Walker, Brandon Drury, Miguel Andujar, Tyler Wade, Glaber Torres, and Tyler Austin all vying for. And Ronald Reyes also, all vying for, you know, you got two starting, <laughs> the starting roles, nice the second shot. and third, right? And, uh, you know, the second and the third base role, and then probably two uh, bench spots. So to me, yeah, I think uh, Andu Hart is probably going to get moved for, uh, you know, a starting pitcher. The Yankees have been linked to all all offseason long, um, I, I look at Torres, man, and kind of going back to, to what you were saying about the over-under uh, 100 games, man, I, I'm going to flip-flop to under now. Uh, with this, uh, you know, coming up, I just look at him and say, yeah, the Yankees clearly something about, uh, <laughs> sorry, my friends are typing in the chat here some uh, funny messages. and yeah. uh, <laughs> But, oh, shoot, where was I going with this? Somebody bail me out here. <laughs> you guys threw me out entirely. Uh, yes, but but you look at Glaber. He's been struggling this spring, and, you know, I get it. He's coming back from blowing out his elbow. These are his first games back. So I wish they would take that with a little bit of a grain of salt, but kind of going back to what Luigi was saying, uh, I thought that the Yankees were going to give these young guys a shot, um, and now it really seems like the youth movement – Is kind of going on the back burner right now. Um, But I still hold firm to the belief that Andujar and Torres would produce not only better numbers in the long run, if given the chance, but also in the short term, if given the chance over a Drury or a Walker. So my my perspective on that doesn't change. But as far as Andujar goes, man, I I think he's totally getting traded. Um, There's just really not a spot for him anymore. He's blocked several
0: ways. Yeah, there's not a spot for... I think there might be a spot for Andujar, but I, I just think of a guy – a guy I always forget out of the uh, Yankee prospects is Tyler Austin. I just always forget about Tyler Austin. I say to myself, here's a guy that – I know a lot of people don't think a lot of uh, Tyler Austin, but I think he's got some pop. I think he's a – I think he has a chance to be a pretty good solid hitter in the MLB. You guys remember Dan Ugla? Yeah, yes Yes. I like, that's always like what I saw, like Tyler Austin possibly being a guy that's probably never going to hit above 250 260 but probably pop out 25, 30 homers a year. If he gets a starting role And he's a guy that he's, he's just another guy that I know he's not a second or third baseman, but these are just at bats that are being taken away from guys like him. And do are, and guys that could really help this team. And I'm telling you that the youth movement, it's, it's put on, it just got put on pause. It just got put on pause that, they want to win. They want a, a team full of established veterans. And this is what we have. So let's. I just wanted to real quick. Uh, also, forgot to mention that Danny Espinosa and uh, Jay Cave both, both were released today. Um, Cave is kind of disappointing to, for that he got released. Uh, Espinosa, you kind of expected that. I, I didn't think. I, half the time, I forgot he was even on the Yankees. Um, I I didn't think there was any chance he made the uh, 25 man, but
2: Cave is disappointing uh, to see him go. Any thoughts on uh, Jay Cave, guys? Jay Cave's got a a, a lot of potential, and he's what, 25, 26 years old. The problem is he's the sixth, possibly seventh outfielder. uh, It's a a tough spot. And uh, it's not an outright release. He was uh, designated for assignment, so it's possible to meet him in the next seven days and maybe get something, even like a middle reliever, a lefty specialist, something for him maybe. Uh, But more than likely, they're going to lose him for nothing. Uh, It is disappointing. Uh, It just – you know, he never really had a place on this squad. When the Yankees added him to the 40-man roster before the Rule 5 draft, uh, they – actually, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he got drafted by by the Reds maybe last year. So they protected him this year because they didn't want to lose him again. Um, They only got him back because he didn't make uh, the – he didn't make the Reds roster. So he's returned to the Yankees, uh, and then of course when we traded for Stanton, it, it kind of just pushed him down the depth charts to, you know, to a pit that he was never going to get out of. So I think he's got he's got some potential. He could be a good outfielder. I don't know if he'll ever be an impact bat at the major league level, but uh, it is sad to see him go.
1: Yeah, I mean, Cave. Honestly, everything Andrew said. He's got potential, but he's just a victim of a really deep Yankees outfield. Uh, organizationally, you just look at, you know, obviously he's not going to crack the starting major league outfield. And then you just look at the bench, you know, he'd be behind guys like Clint Frazier, Jacoby Ellsbury. Uh, Billy McKinney's been playing or hitting out of his mind. So, you know, it's it's sad to see it come to this. I wouldn't be shocked if somebody, you know, came in and and swooped him up. But, you know, this is a loss. I think that the Yankees will weather. I don't think it's going to come back to haunt them or anything like that.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to come back to haunt them either, but definitely a guy that at one point thought, you thought would uh, be a contributor on this team, and now it uh, looks very unlikely. But, yeah, oh, by the way, uh, Cashman said about Neil Walker that he isn't guaranteed a spot in the infield, which obviously could just be a GM talk. But
2: well, you brought up Tyler Austin earlier, uh, and okay. I know we had mentioned this before we went live, but it's possible that – you know, Neil Walker might even edge out Tyler Austin for the backup first baseman job. So there's, there's a lot of moving pieces here.
0: Oh, oh, absolutely. There's there's a chance. There's a good chance Tyler Austin starts the year in AAA, no doubt about it. But so let's just say, let's just play a hypothetical situation here. That say the Yankees trade for in the summer. They want to make a deal. They they're in a good spot, but they think they need another starting pitcher. What are some guys that are attainable that you would like to see the Yankees get if they were to be in the market for a starting pitcher? Because at this point, it really does seem like they have too many players. I mean, they've just made so many signings. And they have so many prospects that you're just looking around and you're saying, okay, some of these guys are going to have to get moved simply for playing time, simply development. These guys are going to want to play.
1: Well, I was kind of thinking about that today, and obviously Michael Fulmer and Chris Archer have kind of been names that the Yankees have been connected to. Uh, Michael Fulmer—he doesn't strike anybody out, and I, if I remember right, his his ground ball rates are pretty slow t- or pretty low too. So I don't want a pitcher that can't strike people out with fly ball tendencies in Yankee Stadium. And we've kind of covered Chris Archer. Yeah, he'll K people, but also put a lot of people on base. So today. I was kind of thinking of the guy the Yankees have been off and on connected to this offseason is Danny Duffy of the Royals. Um, obviously, the, the Royals are in the midst of quite a big rebuild. Um, they managed to bring uh, Mike Moustakis back on one heck of a steal of a deal. I mean, he turned down the qualifying offer and then came back for – what was it like? Six and a half million, something five. absurdly. I
0: think it was five and a half.
1: Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Something absurdly under we ended, the. Uh, we
0: ended the last show. We ended the last show, that and that that he lost twelve million dollars. I mean, what a shame. That's <laughs> what That's rough. Shame. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I, I think the Royals are a team that I, I don't. I'm not real familiar with their organization, but I would say they'd probably take a prospect anywhere. Kind of any you could give them. I don't think they're going to be really picky about what position. Uh, you sent to them. So I look at Danny Duffy, he's a left-hander <laughs> and he had a, <laughs> he had a, a three, eight, one ERA last year, um, only through 146 innings. But if you look at his year before uh, his ERA was three, five, one. I have his and, page
0: open right now. Very, very consistent yeah. numbers. Yeah. And, and he struck
1: out 188 uh, guys, you know, in, in 42 games and 179 innings. So, to me, I've always kind of looked at left-handers in Yankee Stadium, you know, with, you know, you know, bigger eyes than usual because I like the lefty to be able to kind of eliminate that pull side tendency, um, work the matchups against other lefties that you know, just flick a ball into the short porch in right field. So that we already mentioned earlier, you know, Anduhar could be a, you know, a potential trade chip. And I would think a very shiny one at that. I think the Royals would probably ask for something else. And so I was just kind of tossing around, you know. Miguel Andujar and Clint Frazier. And so I personally think that before you even, you know, call the Royals on that, they'll say yes. In, in my mind, the Royals have bugged the Yankees war room and they're listening in and they hear the Yankees <laughs> tossing around Miguel Andujar and Clint Frazier for Danny Duffy. And they actually call the Yankees and just say yes. And to be like, wait, what are you talking about? And just like, let's do this trade mm-hmm. right now. Um, I think that the Royals would absolutely take that to get two elite prospects, you know, at third base because Mestakis is only on a you know that one-year uh, pillow deal. I don't. I think you might have an option, but you know, if you have Miguel Andujar who's who's hitting well, he would be way cheaper anyways. You, you'd want to keep him and Clint Frazier, who obviously has got some flaws, but also has a lot of upside too for for Danny Duffy. I think that'd be a steal for for the Royals. Me personally, though, that's where it comes down to: Do the Yankees think that's worth it to give up that much? You know, in a rotation that. I don't know, guys. I don't I know the Yankees have been connected to a lot of a lot of starting pitchers, and I know pitching, pitching can be very volatile. Um, injuries happen, but to me, I think the rotation, I think they can get to the you know, the back to the playoffs certainly, but to a World Series with this rotation. And you look at the minors, you got Chance Adams and Justice Sheffield isn't too far away. So the Yankees would really have to, you know, ask themselves, is is this guy, you know, that big of an upgrade that you'd you'd want to bring him in? Uh, give up two top prospects to bring him in. So that's just kind of something I came up with. It's it's really all speculation, but in my mind, it makes sense. But the Yankees got to ask themselves, is it worth paying that price? So I'll just kind of turn that over to you guys, and maybe you have another starting pitcher in mind. Uh, but that's just kind of where I what I thought about today.
2: Uh, actually, I'm going to keep along the same lines as you are uh, with a, a left-handed pitcher. I have a, a pair of names uh, that, that I was thinking about as well. Uh, another player that the Yankees were – Definitely you know, checking in on earlier in the offseason was uh, Patrick Corbin of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, I know they have obviously a lot of trade history uh, with Arizona, most recently with Brandon Drury, uh, being a three-team deal. Uh, I don't think Corbin would cost that much. He had a, his best season, what, three or four years ago at this point, and he's had Tommy John in between. I, I think he, he's a good, not great guy, but he has upside, and he could be had for not that – that much. The other name I was floating around, and only this plays out if if the Texas Rangers end up being as bad of a team as a lot of them are projecting, is a guy like Cole Hamels, who I know is a far cry from you know his top three or four Cy Young campaigns when he was with Philadelphia. But he still pitched to a four two ERA last year, he counted for a three point oh or excuse me a two point eight WAR, uh, and he's only on. A one-year deal at this point, it's going to be paying paying him twenty-two and a half this year, and the option for twenty million next year is an easy pass for the Yankees if they were to acquire him. Cole Hamels has a lot of playoff experience. Uh, he, he's a wily vet. Uh, I think if anything, he can learn something from CC if there's, there's holes in his in his approach right now. Uh, I don't necessarily know if that's something that, that Texas would. What kind of return to be looking for? But, I mean, what do you think? Does, does a guy like Cole Hammels interest you at all?
0: Eh, I, I don't know. Cole, he really doesn't move the needle for me. And the guy that I had in mind was uh, Garrett Cole. That's, who, that's the guy that I would like to see the Yankees go get. I know he'd probably cost a bit more than uh, the other guys mentioned, but I just think Cole could be a guy that I, – I think Cole has a higher ceiling than any of the guys we just listed. Um He's do you want
2: to with- see Houston unloading him, though, right after they just got him?
0: Uh, I, I, I think – I don't know. Why not? I think he's can still controlled for two years, isn't he? I think – look, the Yankees have so many prospects And I truly – because, look, we were saying earlier that, you know, the damn Mets would never trade uh, any of their starting pitches to the Yankees. And with the Yankees and Astros, I, there's just – you know, I know they played each other in the playoffs last year, but – I really feel like the Yankees have so many prospects that if they offered the, if they said, if they called the Astros and said, "Hey, uh, that Garrett Cole guy, uh, I know you just got him, but can we have him? Well, we'll give you, we'll give you these prospects. You guys like prospects? Because really, I think the Yankees, like you said, Nick, and 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 Frazier, that's a that's a juicy package, man. I mean, Clint Frazier is. He's I mean we really do forget that hey Clint Fraser at one time a couple years ago was rated higher than Judge was rated higher than a lot of these prospects on that are doing very well right now so that could that could be a big haul but I I do like Duffy I think Duffy is also would be a really good option Well and I I want to touch on
1: kind of the ones that Andrew threw out I think that Corbin can make sense um I don't know, man. The Diamondbacks could be in for a step back this year. Um, obviously, they lost JD Martinez, who so that guy powered him. He hit out of his mind when he was a Diamondback. And then you look at noodle arm. Zach Grenke is struggling to touch 90 miles an hour this spring. I guess he's like hanging and
0: eighty-seven. Up. Oh, dude. He
1: must be hanging out with Peyton Manning, like selling Papa John's franchises or something, and just caught a case of just the gnarly, gnarliest noodle arm out there. How much
0: is he still owed?
1: Uh, a lot. I don't know how much specifically, a, but just, a lot. So yeah,
0: just categorizing too, it as a too lot of things. Yeah.
1: So I could definitely see the, the diamondbacks, you know, selling on Patrick Corbin. And I'd be all for it, assuming the cost isn't that high. I don't think it would be. Um because as as Andrew kind of mentioned, like he hasn't been spectacular since he came back, and he's you know a free agent next year. So if it costs you a couple, eh meh sort of guys. I'd be all for it, and, and the same. I think the same kind of goes for for Cole Hamels. I certainly think he'll be available. I actually fully expect him to get moved this season. I just don't see the Rangers seriously contending this year at all, and it only makes sense for the the Rangers to get something for Hamills. But again, the same same kind of thing goes. I'm not giving up Miguel and Duhar for you know half a season of, of Cole Hamels. I think Hamels certainly has something to offer us, but at the same time, it's it's the same rationale why I'm not going to give up a lot for Machado to get half a season of him. Uh, for me, it's just you got to be careful with the rentals. You don't want to give up too much for the rentals, but I think that they both make sense if you can get them at a reasonable price.
0: Anything else, Andrew? No, I, I think we, we we're, we're all yeah. covered on that end. Yeah, no, nah, I just wanted to real quickly hit on the the because I really I really do see okay uh, at the moment uh, Gumby or Cece or at the moment someone goes down. There's going to be a trade, and there's going to be another starting pitcher in the staff because, there's, like I said earlier, there's too many players. <laughs> Cashman just – I feel like tomorrow we're just going to wake up and there's just going to be another decent veteran signed to the Yankees. We're, they're just going to keep doing it until opening day. They're not going to stop. So, up next, we – if I have I, I've like baseball I've so many baseball reference pages open up I I can't even get to the show notes. Oh yeah. Um, I think we're up yeah. like Ken Singleton next. Yeah. You know this this really is just so I was bummed when I heard this man. I really was because Kenny Singleton is just I mean he's he's like I like Brett Gardner's the longest-tenured Yankee. Kenny Singleton's the longest-tenured Yankee announcer. He's Been in the booth since 1997. And he announced on Twitter today that the 2018 season will be his final one in the booth. And, ah, that – I mean, he's still – like, Kenny Singleton, I think he's 70 years old, and he still feel like he could go another few years. But you can't blame a guy for wanting to retire, wanting to enjoy the, the you know, his later years just out of the booth. But what, what are you guys' uh, thoughts on Kenny Singleton?
2: Guy, you want to take it?
1: Andrew, I want to let you take it. You had all the uh, the good stats on him. I think you can do him a little bit more justice than I can, then I'll chime in. <laughs> Did I now?
2: All right, well, first no. off, all, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's a big bummer. I I, I do love what, what he brings to the booth, not only when he's uh, the color commentary to Michael K., but also when he has... Uh, yeah, when he takes over as the main play-by-play guy, you know we all know the lookout, and the, this one is gone. Uh, I'm really gonna miss him in the booth. I think he he actually rounds out the the main crew when you have, you know, Kay and, and Paul Neal yucking it up. You got Kenny in there with the professionalism and whatnot. Uh, one thing we were talking about before uh, we went live here is Kenny's yeah, something well, people don't always know. Of course. Not many people our age were, were alive <laughs> to watch him play, but he was a, a really, really good baseball player for a lot of years. He, he won a World Series with uh, Baltimore. He's got uh, upwards of, I think it's near 250 career home runs, finished third in the MVP in 1977 and second in 1979. Uh, the guy was a really good baseball player too in addition to his post-career, uh, playing career in the booth.
0: Yeah, Can, or, yeah. Or I looked I at it as or, no, Ken,
2: ahead, Singleton yeah. always, uh, Ken Singleton
1: always. Ken Singleton always kind of reminded me, like, of the grandpa I never had. Uh, kind of like <laughs> calling a baseball game and, and tell me what was going on in in the baseball game to me. Kind of like Andrew said, he was kind of the consistent. Like, I'm just going to call my game. Doesn't never really stray too far from the subject at hand. Um, but he he always did a good job. And you know, his, his absence is going to you know obviously suck, but. I think the Yes Network does a very good job with their color analysts, uh, getting guys like Paul O'Neill, David Cohn, Al Leiter, and I love those guys. So hopefully we don't miss Ken too much. I'm sure we will, but I, I'm really hoping these color analysts can kind of, you know, make us maybe forget about the loss a little bit more. Um, I've been a fan of the Yes Network, man. Uh, you know, I've been on and off at Michael Kay, but when you sit back and take a look at it, he does a really good job. And then Yes Network as a whole does a really good job. Uh, aside from the really unnecessary and uncomfortable bathroom pictures, uh, that much I'm not going to give them props <laughs> for. I'm actually going to suggest that they don't do that. But, you know, it's going to suck missing or uh, losing Ken. But I, I just think that the Yes Network will hopefully do a good job of, you know, softening that blow.
0: Yeah, and I just really quick wanted to read out because he said, like, you know, the best thing about Twitter is when – Somebody breaks something through Twitter on their own Twitter, you just don't, you just could post it right away. You don't have to go through a source. You don't have to go through anything. Like the person just tweeted it. So, Candy Singleton tweeted this morning, and I'll read it word for word. Look out. This will be my final season of Calling Baseball games. I've been playing or talking baseball ever since I was four years old. It's time for this enjoyable ride to end. Thanks, fans, for allowing me into your homes and businesses. It's been my pleasure. And the hashtag this one is gone. So, Nothing but class from Kenny. Uh, yeah, his his numbers were great. I mean, he's in the Orioles Hall of Fame. He's a World Series winner, over two thousand hits and a thousand RBIs. I mean, that how many guys? What is obviously there's a club for everything, but how many players you think have over two thousand hits and a thousand RBIs? I mean, that's that's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, that's something I would have never known until we talked yeah, about it before. I knew he was a very good
0: baseball player, but like you know, just I writing that blog today, like, decided to look up some of the stats and I said, wow, Ken- Kenny was, he was quite the player, man. I, he was a lot better than I expected. He had a few great years, the Oreos, too. Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. so yeah, we'll, you got moving foot, real quick. Fo- yeah, you're, you're Real going.
1: quick, I just want to, speaking of, of guys breaking news from their uh, own Twitter feed, just want to give a, a shout-out, we never did this, to Jim Larritz for bring, uh, breaking the John Carlos Stanton trade before it happened. That dude didn't get enough credit for that. Everybody, <laughs> y'all are sleeping on Jim Larritz, but he knows his stuff.
0: That was like the, uh, I think one guy from like Barstool in like December tweeted that you Darvish like passed his physical and was on his cubs and like you Darvish quoted his tweet and it's like, nope, fake news. <laughs> <laughs> or something like and then it he signed with so the Cubs. It. Yeah, and like two months later, he's not with the Cubs. So. It turned out to be true, but just jumped the gun a little bit. So who, do you guys think that uh, – yes, because I wanted to kind of center this around uh, Ruko. Now, I don't think that – I'm not saying that, oh, Ruko is going to directly uh, replace Kenny thing because Ruko already has his own role, and he's already uh, called a few games on the road the past couple of years, but – do you guys think that the – could you guys see the S yes Network getting just somebody else from the outside, or do they keep it in-house and just kind of groom Ruko for that role?
2: Oh, they'll definitely get someone someone, uh, someone else. Uh, I, if you look at what they've done uh, over the past few years in some of the auxiliary roles, remember Kim Jones moved over to NFL Network, and they – they pulled in uh, Meredith Morabats. I think she was doing NBA for the 76ers, if I remember correctly. Uh, mm-hmm. You also look at—I I know I don't know how much you guys watch Nets basketball, but they're also on Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Ness, uh, yes, excuse me, was able to pull in Sarah Kustock from the Chicago White Sox. I mean, she's re- she's really good. Like I really yeah. So Yes Network talent acquisition—they they are on their A game, and they could definitely fill someone, fill uh, someone in quick to replace Kenny. You know who. You know who
0: I could see—not obviously, not as like directly replacing Kenny, but you know who I could see joining the Yes Booth in the next couple of years: Tishera. right No, Tishera. <laughs> Hell no, not Aaron. But Tishera—I mean, he's a guy that he's been on ESPN the, the last couple of years. I think he'd be really good with you know Kenny and Cone—or not, obviously not Kenny, but Cone and O'Neal—and uh, just K. I think he'd be really good in the Yes Booth. I mean, it really, really never
1: is so good on camera. I mean, I remember going back to his foul territory skits like he, he oh, is so yeah. good on camera. Yeah, exactly. he's, he's got good analyst. I mean, he was my favorite player for the last I mean, since he's basically been in pinstripes. So I'd absolutely love it. And I think he'd have definitely have something to bring. And then just kind of going back to what you said, with Ryan Rucco, I think he'd be a fantastic step in. Um, Obviously, he's done a couple games with the Yankees. And then you look at. He's got a fantastic podcast with CC Sabathia, where CC Sabathia says the F word every other word, and I love every (laughs) every second of it. And so it would kind of give me that feel to hear him on the games more. So, yeah, I think those are two fantastic candidates. I really like the idea of uh, bringing in Tashera because he's just uh, he's got a knack for you know the broadcasting business that I had no idea about until you know later in his pinstripes career. So that would be awesome.
0: Yeah, and I just want to say something about Teixeira really quick because this is really interesting. So last summer, I think it was during the Home Run Derby, he was on a part of my take, and he was doing an interview, and he said something that kind of amazed me. So I know. he wasn't a natural switch hitter. He And he told me that – or he told, oh, he told me He told uh, – <laughs> yeah, I wish breaking he told news. that. Breaking news. I was there. But he told uh, the guys giving the interview that he had to relearn how to switch hit every spring training. Like, every year he would go to spring training, he would literally have to relearn how to switch it. And that's why he would always start off so slowly every season. That's why he'd be hitting, like, 180 in, like, early May, and it would take him some time to get going. And it, it almost, like, blew my mind. Like, oh, my God, you had to – like, how do you relearn how to switch it every year as a major league hitter? But he did it, and the guy's, you know, going to be I, – I think he's no doubt a Hall of Famer, but
1: who knows? He was he naturally was. a right-handed hitter, correct? Right. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe so. because sure, I, I remember quick, writing, a, you know, like a bold, a bold take piece way back in the day that said, "Hey, why Mark Teixeira hits way better right-handed at least for at least for contact. Obviously, if you bat left-handed, you're going to hit for more power numbers in Yankee Stadium. But for a minute there, I thought it would be a fantastic idea for him to switch to just purely right-handed hitting. Just and I didn't know that at the time. So now that that yeah. totally makes sense. Actually, that's news for me. I just found that out."
0: Yeah, I'm, t- I'm telling you, it was like a very shocking development. Him saying that, but I mean, he was uh, the thing I'll always remember about Te- Teixeira is obviously he was a great hitter. He had some great seasons, but the guy, he's to this day still the best defensive first baseman I've ever seen. Oh, and I'm absolutely. Saying, and I'm, obviously, I'm not saying like uh, he's the best of all time, but in my <laughs> viewing of baseball, that guy was a that guy was a rock solid force at first base. I mean. Just even in his later years, when he just was not hitting well, you still just didn't mind him out there because he was still playing a great first base, and he would just make such high IQ
2: plays. And uh, and that's my only that? doubt mean- on Saber metrics. It's for whatever reason he he never graded out well it, at all. Yeah, uh, there was I, I think it was. I don't know if they measure it, but it's I, the, the exact stat is basically to to measure how well a first baseman poops balls out of the dirt or catches stuff on the, on the short hop. And I remember vividly one year, I think it was right about as I was about to graduate college, that Albert Pujols was graded higher than than Mark Teixeira. I'm thinking to myself, how does that make sense? And, and I wonder if just you know you had Cano and Jeter throwing balls to first base, there weren't many throws in the dirt for him to scoop out. it. that was negatively impairing his numbers, um, but he, he's unbelievable out there. I, I just remember. Um, I think it's, oh, you know what it is? It's, it's John Sterling. He would always go every single day, every time he made a play at, at first base. It became a joke between me and my family, but you could count on him to make some kind of jaw-dropping play at least once a week. Well, I
1: think that shows that you can't put a lot of stock into some of these defensive metrics because I, they're just not accurate. Um, Didi Gregorius – I think when he came over, I'm pretty sure he still is rated as kind of a subpar defender by some of these, you know, advanced def- defensive metrics. And you, you look at Didi and you look at Tashera, and you're like, these guys are great defenders. Marta Teixeira made the entire infield better because as long as you threw it, you know, relatively close to him, he was going to make the play on the ball. You didn't even have to be right on the base, you, you know, the whole time. So, I, I 100% agree. In my book, Marta Teixeira is a Hall of Famer. He was a very Absolutely. good switch hitting first baseman. And, you know, he's one of the best defensive first basemen, like Luigi said, that I've ever seen. Now, are the voters necessarily going to look at that? I don't think so, um, which is quite unfortunate. The Hall of Fame voting is an entirely different topic for an entirely different day. Uh, but I, I would just hope that maybe by the time he comes around, some of the guys will look at his defense and say, this dude was a freaking wizard uh, with a glove at first base.
0: Yeah, uh, the – is. M- is Mariano el- eligible next year is that is a
1: good question
0: Mariano if anyone doesn't vote Mariano first ballot hall of fame uh, it's broken the system and somebody's gonna do broken. it just to do it like I don't think he's
1: gonna get it because some guy wants to be that
0: guy
2: well, 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 and I it's, think the, the, the thing I've heard is that if you go back to like the the long linen, linen, uh the long history of the BBWA voting, it's that I think with Babe Ruth wasn't a unanimous vote. So there's, a, there's like a small legion of guys among the, the voting population that they'll just basically <laughs> conspire together to make sure that there's no unanimous voter ever. I, I don't know how true this is. This is you know, some, some theory I heard, but since Babe Ruth was not a unanimous voter, no one in the history of baseball deserves to be unanimous
1: that's just ridiculous man yeah, I, mean, I
2: mean you, you look um, at
0: you look I can, there's so many things i could say right now but
1: yeah, I'm we should me. probably save this conversation for another I, day we could have a whole episode I'm, on
0: this i'm gonna mute my mic <laughs> all right yes <laughs> uh yeah but yeah that's all i want to say and, oh by the way i know we got a little sidetrack but i think this is a it's a good topic I, have you guys seen on twitter recently like that i think it's like baseball kings that always tweets it out it's like Basically says best infield ever question mark, and it's just a Shara Jeter, and Arod. And I don't have a list in front of me, but that was an incredible infield. And the I don't that's what I've ever seen. I don't think any of us realized it at the time. I mean, obviously oh. we knew how great that team was, but looking back on it, I, I just I say, damn man, that that's like, 2009 the, infield yeah, was that, stacked. That, uh, mm-hmm. Man, they they were good, man. They, I mean, G, I think that 9 year what Jeter hit like 330, he was – Yeah, well, and I, and I think he was era, era, top think three in, 30, in MVP. I think, I, I think that was the year A-Rod only hit like 30 home runs that 9 year. He missed the first yeah.
1: him in, in the last game, game of the season. Yeah. He hit two, I think, to get to 30.
2: No, not only did he hit two home runs the last game of the season, he hit two in an inning. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was That's a three-run home it's... run and a grand slam. I think it was like the fifth or sixth inning. And it just there's that vivid image of, of Marcus Sherry in the dugout. I bring this all full circle. And his jaw just dropped. When, like, someone told him, you know, Arod just – he had his second on one. He got it to 30 and 100. And he's just like, what? <laughs> Bug-eyed. It's,
1: it's, it's crazy. Well, without getting too nerdy, let me read you real quick. In the 2009 infield, Marcus Sherry, 141 ops plus. Robinson Cano, 121 ops plus. Derek Jeter 125 ops plus. And – a-Rod, 138 ops plus in just 124 games. I mean, that infield was stacked. I, I'd i be shocked. I mean, I'm, there might be, but I don't think there's a better infield than that. Uh, if there is, then it's not ahead of this Yankees, this 2009 Yankees infield by much. It's got to be top five at the very least.
0: Yeah, that's definitely, uh, that's another good debate the, for another day. Uh, some other news. Jacoby Ellsbury are my least favorite Yankee of all time. Um, <laughs> He may not be ready for opening day. Uh, what? Aaron Boone, Wait, what? Dude, right? The guy, the guy oh, wow. is like Talking about guy, Iron man. Dude, the guy's so durable. Um, oh, we're probably no, quote from Aaron Boone. We're probably getting into that range where we're butting up against it on in terms of being ready for opening day. So Ellsbury's out till July, and <laughs> <laughs> that's a. I'm mean, really though. I mean, we're gonna get into Ellsbury. You know what? Let's start the pinstripe previews. We're we're at the pinstripe previews, and oh, would you look at that? One of our guys is Jacoby Ellsbury. So let's start with him. Uh, I don't even know how to lead in Jacoby Ellsbury, man. I'll take uh, probably it, I'll take like- it for you if you want. <laughs> No, I, I got I got I got I got it uh, probably one of the worst signings uh Brian Cashman has made as his tenure right up there I think with Carl Pavano and Javi Vasquez and all those guys. Um you know he only had three hundred and fifty six at bats last year, just hit two sixty four, one point seven war. Uh he's not a free agent until two thousand twenty one. He uh, uh even though uh there's all these moves being made. Jacoby Ellsbury, not involved in any. Very disappointing. So, uh, guys, yeah. uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, thoughts?
1: Well, Ellsbury would be a fantastic
0: – All right, I our <laughs> preview on Jacoby I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. He would be a fantastic
1: fourth outfielder if he wasn't being paid $21 million a year. And I think that's what it all boils down to. At this point, I think we kind of know what to expect from Ellsbury. He's going to be – somewhere between 250 and 300 like never at either extreme it's going to be 260s 270s somewhere in there with you know a couple stolen bases sprinkled in there but other than that that's that's really it he doesn't strike out at a crazy clip and he kind of gets some walks but he he doesn't hit for the power that you know 2011 we can safely say was an anomaly with the 32 dingers he hit then so I don't know we know what to expect with Ellsbury and it's unspectacular and the problem is the contract uh, getting paid $21 million to put up that kind of average production and be the fourth outfielder is definitely not what the Yankees envisioned when they signed Ellsbury and it would be nice to trade him and it would be nice to move him, but there's also the, you know, the whole factor of he's got a no trade clause. Um, and he's kind of, it sounds like if I remember right, hearing reports that he really doesn't want to waive that he'd wave it to a contending team, but what contending team in their right mind is going to bring on Jacoby Ellsbury, a guy who I just said was a fourth outfielder um, for $21 million a year. And honestly, I'll go so far as to say this. We talked about this earlier on in the offseason. If the Yankees were just to outright release Jacoby Ellsbury, I don't know if he'd get a major league contract, guys. I, I really don't. Because like I said, he's a guy who hits 260, and that's literally it. He plays some okay defense. I'll give him that. He's got some got some legs to, to run the outfield. He takes some weird routes to balls. Uh, but I don't even think he'd get him, you know, a major league contractor. If he did, it wouldn't be more than two, three million dollars a year. So well, they
2: wouldn't have to give him anything that that's yeah. if you remember what the with the Mets, when they signed Jose Reyes after he got released by the, the Rockies last year, uh, the Yankees, if they release him, they eat every penny of the contract. So you said yeah. he's a good fourth outfielder. All a team has to do is give him the the prorated amount of the major league minimum for how many games into the season for the rest of the year that he's owed. And then you get well, I guess or... I meant more of
1: this more like in a vacuum. Say all things considered. Yeah, yeah. Say I know, put put Ellsbury up against like the the league right now. As far as you know, all things are the same. Would would he get a major league contract? I'm I'm not so sure. There's other guys that are younger, um, that have a comparable skill set, and with other guys being younger, I think you can argue they might have potential to at least eventually, you know, progress as a player. And with Ellsbury, I think we we've seen what he is, and it's not that good. And again, the injury problems keep keep biting this guy. Actually, funny enough, he played in you know 148 games in 2016, which seems so distant now. But I don't remember him playing that many games, and he went down to 112 last year uh, in 2017. And even that seems like a lot. Like I don't remember him playing that much. So well,
2: his defense I, last year, he was benched behind Aaron Hicks. That,
1: he wasn't really as, into- as as he should have been, and well, so that's right. where the it kind of stands right now. Is I. Honestly, guys, I think we're stuck with him. I don't think we're going to see him moved um, through the duration of his contract. And it's frustrating. I wonder at what what point do the Yankees pull an A-Rod with him and say, we're going to pay you to go away because you're taking up a roster spot. And you think that roster spot is more valuable than what you're putting up right now. So that's my – I know it's hardly an original take, but I think it's also the reality of what Ellsbury is going to bring to the table this year.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'd put Clint Frazier ahead of Ellsbury just in terms of who's a better option as the fourth outfielder right now because, yeah, it really is frustrating because you really do wish that that he would just get traded to a team that maybe he could play because he really – like there is just not a spot for him with Hicks, with Judge, with Stanton, with Clint Frazier. And that I know this might seem a little bit down the road, but even when you see Billy McKinney just ripping the ball. Yeah. I mean – what what were we talking about to begin the show younger guys getting blocked and you know ellsbury's not directly blocking any younger guys but maybe if you want to consider clint but yeah so yeah just, we we've talked about this before in the show but you know it it just uh reminded me again because I'm actually looking at the pinstru preview for ellsbury that the person who wrote this who of course will go unnamed he predicted a 290 season for Ellsbury with uh, fifth round, fifteen home, fifteen homers, and he predicted that he would win the starting center field job from Aaron Hicks. Guys, give me a percent chance that any of the, all that happens.
2: Well, he can't get the starting Zero. job. He
0: <laughs> I'm going. I'm just saying, like this year, like that, Ellsbury is going to eventually win the starting job from Hicks, and then he's going to hit 290 with fifteen home runs. Like I would put he's that. He's not going
1: to win it. The only way he gets it is somebody gets hurt. So I wouldn't say he's going to win it. I'd, I'd put it at a straight-up 0% chance because he's not even going to be healthy by the start of the season.
0: Like There's just no way. There's absolutely no way. And, of course, just you see that, oh, well, he's hurt, so he's not starting opening day. It, it really is incredible. I mean, not starting opening day, I feel like that – like I said, I was almost joking before, but I really do feel like that's going to turn into a month or two. Like who knows with this guy. But over and under. A hundred games with the Yankees this year for Jacoby Ellsbury. Now playing he played, on the he, roster. <laughs> uh like playing, not on the roster, just playing with the Yankees. Uh, he had 112 last year, 148 the year before, and 111 the year before that.
1: That's a that's a really tough one. I'm I, The
0: same one we did for Glyber, but I just wanted to I do. I think I'm
1: going to do. I'll, I'll go just barely under. I think there might be some injury somewhere that necessitates he step in and play a little bit. However, that all also you know is banking on the fact that he's healthy at the same time, which he's shown. You know, he's got glass bones. He's the guy in the SpongeBob episode where they're they're selling chocolate and uh, he falls down the stairs and says, "Oh hey, yeah, my uh, bones are made of glass." Correct, and that's exactly what Jacoby Ellsbury is. He is that dude, uh, minus the freaking chocolate bars and you know, bringing something to the table. So yeah, I'll go just barely under. I think he's going to get playing time out of necessity. Um, Clint Frazier's concussion, man, that's a, a topic for another day, but that doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it's going away. So for right now, he's the next guy in. Um, but I, I'm hoping we don't have to see that much of him.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go over. I'm gonna go just over. I'm gonna say he's right at 105, 110, because I, I really, I just feel like he's just that thorn, like like it said in the article, he's just that thorn in the side that he's gonna get playing time. He's just every, he's gonna pop in the lineup a few times a week, and he's probably gonna just compile over 100 games and probably hit 250. Andrew, you going over or under?
2: I'm gonna say over two, and I, I hate it that I have to say it, but. Nah. I'm sure someone's going to get hurt. Uh, unfortunately, Aaron Hicks has never played a full season with the Yankees, uh, so that's something to watch. And also, uh, let me hit you with a, a quick little stat here: Jacoby Earlsbury last year, 22 stolen bases, lost stolen only three times. Uh, he could be a, a the world's most expensive late inning a pinch runner. So, <laughs> that I think that'll inflate his appearances just on the basis of going there, swipe second, and then get yanked again.
0: I didn't think Ellsbury had 22 stolen bases. I would have guessed like 15.
2: Not and too. only 112 games. He,
0: yeah. he was aggressive last well, year. Better, uh, I mean, he better be right. Um, on the baseball reference page, they have uh, this cool little feature that uh, – projections, and they're projecting Ellsbury to hit two fifty-five with nine homers and 42 RBIs in 412 at-bats. So I think that I think that's pretty accurate. I think that's probably where he'll be around. Uh, you know, it's upsetting about Ellsbury. The first year he was with the Yankees, I think he hit like 270 with 16 homers and 70 RBIs. So if he did that each year, I look, I wouldn't be thrilled, but I, I would be content.
2: I wouldn't, I mean, I would, I would, exactly. And but, even a step farther than that. Do you guys remember the following season, 2015, when he he hurt his knee? I think it was that game in Washington. He was at like 330 at that point. He was out of his mind he was everything they signed him to be and then once he got hurt he missed 30 or so games came back and was never the same Finished like what 250 260
0: yeah I think the his his second year he finished I believe yeah 257 so it
2: just he's over 300 before he got hurt
0: well yeah so Ellsbury's another guy who yeah Will he even be on the Yankees? But he probably will. I mean, who who the hell wants Ellsbury? I know I don't. Um, let's let's see. Let's go to the little engine that could. Oh, let's go to uh we, You know, it's funny. Alex said that he goes, you you got to do the Brandon Jury pinch preview with Nixon. Like you, you can't had, podcast it's
1: about Brandon Jury without me. Like this is what I was exactly. made uh, for.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Brandon Jury, uh, the twenty five year old that the Yankees. Recently acquired, and you know, he it's going to be a competent. I, I think he's going to more likely be the third baseman now because he's more of the utility guy, and Walker is more of the traditional second baseman. Um, just some of Jury's numbers last year 267 average, 13 homers, 63 RBIs, 317 on base percentage, 89 OPS plus, and a 1.6 war. So, very, uh, very average, very unspectacular but still pretty young uh and i think i think it's very likely that he's going to be the starting third baseman he's not a free agent until 2022 so the yankees have some control with him uh what do you guys what do you guys think of jury uh let's start you know andrew uh i think it goes without saying that we're we're gonna start with nick so nick what do you think of brandon the little engine that could jury See,
1: I don't really know what to say anymore that that hasn't I haven't already said it. Just I just on just about every single episode, I found a way to bash Brandon Drury, and you you brought up his numbers, and I brought him up in the start of the podcast. I mean, two sixty seven with you know thirteen home runs. That's that's not. Good. Like I'm sorry. Like I, I, the word I used in my article on him is, is is average. But you look at him compared to the rest of the league. The, the rest of the league last year, you know, they were hitting 20 home runs, uh, higher averages than that. So, look, man, could could he turn it around? Does he have upside? I mean, he says he's been working on a swing to get more loft on the ball, as has every other freaking player coming into spring training ever. Is
0: a, <laughs> oh like yeah, I work like on my swing. It's like a quarterback, yes. like, yeah, yeah, working, working There's... with my receivers hard. We're, we've really been working hard. Like, yeah, well, you really? know who else has been working hard?
1: <laughs> Everybody else. Like, it's it's like one of the cliches. Like, oh, I've been working on my swing, or uh, he's coming to camp in the best shape of his life. We hear yeah. this every freaking spring. Tyler Austin worked on his swing with Albert Pujols over the winter. And Greg, Greg so, Bird, Greg Bird, uh, broke his ankle just, just, just waking to up. Trigger him.
0: I just wanted to check. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I'll, well, we'll let him get to that. But I'm just going based on what he's put up in the big league so far. Um, I'd like to go on the numbers and kind of, you know, project from there. And what I've seen is hardly inspiring. Um, we also talked about him defensively. He made 11 errors last year. Uh, and Starling Castro also made 11 errors last year. Nobody around here has ever regarded Starling Castro as, you know, you know, the Mark Teixeira, second base. Um <laughs> so and and he only played one game at third base last year and in that one game he uh he made an error so I think we're making a wild assumption by you know saying that he can just step in tomorrow and and play uh, some solid def- uh, defense at third base you know I won't say he's going to be chase Headley on in his worst year at third base but he's he's not going to be you know some kind of lockdown defender at least based on the numbers so look man my my hesitancy to, you know, praise the brain injury trade is—it's all based in numbers, man. I look at it, and again, you just look at the league last year. I think you have to compare these stats to the rest of the league and say this really wasn't that great. Uh, he's projected, you know, on a Baseball Reference, sixteen home runs last year, 272 average. That's okay. Um, that's probably not unrealistic, but I think that a Miguel Andujar, a Glaber Torres could easily put up those numbers and better. And that's that's where my my beef with this all boils down to is the Yankees have younger guys who have far higher upsides uh that could be starting right now in putting up these projected Drury numbers or in my opinion will probably hit even better um than that. So again, that's just kind of my whole in you know, a little synopsis of how I view <laughs> Brandon Drury. Maybe maybe he'll prove me wrong, man. I I said this about uh DD Gregorius. I didn't think he'd be a good acquisition. Uh, Aaron Hicks I think is a little bit more. The jury's still a little out. He had a fine, you know, little stretch last year where he showed a lot of promise, and I want him to get a starting chance this year. But uh, who knows? Brian Cashman tends to know what he's doing, so maybe I shouldn't be so critical. But, again, just going on the numbers. So I'll turn it over to you guys. Maybe you guys have a bit of a fresher perspective. In fact, I think it would be hard to have any less of a fresh perspective than I do on jury.
2: I think we've kind of already beat a dead horse. So just for the sake of a parody here, and for like any of our, horse. our stout Brandon Jury fans, uh, let me, let me throw down some numbers. Uh, mystery player, two twenty six batting average, two ninety on base percentage, Ugh. six home runs, twenty seven RBIs in eighty games played. Uh, Those are the stats of Didi Gregorius the year before the Yankees acquired him. Uh, And I know that's the comparison everyone wants to make. So for the sake of making everyone happy, yes, it's possible for Brandon Jury to have a turner on of the likes of Didi Gregorius. Do I think he's going to be a middle-of-the-order impact bat? Certainly not. But Brian Cashman and the scouting department have supposedly seen something in him that we saw also in Didi and Aaron Hicks, and it's possible he can be somewhere in the 270-280 range with, they say, upwards of 20 home run power. So do I see it happening? No. Is it possible? Sure.
1: I mean, Brett Gardner could hit 50 home runs next year. It's it's possible. And in, in fact, Brett Gardner hit more home runs last year than uh, Drury did, so I'd say that's actually – it's more reasonable to think that Gardner could hit 20 home runs than you know Drury. We can play the, the what-if game all day until the cows come home, but – you know i would say the the brandon Drury and dd gregorius comparison would be a good comparison if brandon Drury was dd gregorius um but you have to understand these are these are two different players we can't just say oh yeah man you know diamondbacks uh middle infielder coming over next dd gregorius like that's about where the similarities end uh and honestly diamondbacks uh, infielder so yeah what, what andrew said i think is all accurate but i I guess more than anything, I'm just trying to say pump the brakes. I think as Yankees fans, we have the tendency, maybe not us in particular, but there are some Yankees fans with the tendency to say this guy's a Yankee. So we're going to crown him, you know, the best at his position. He's he's got to be, you know, he's good kind of thing. And I just say, slow down on that. Let's see what he can do, can or can't do. And, you know, don't don't hold up on the young guys over, you know, a brain injury or a Neil Walker.
0: I just want to give another mystery stat line: um, 253, 13 homers, sixty seven RBIs, three thirty three on base percentage. Steven Drew, the year before we got him. So, Ooh, that is just, a really good one. Let's just uh, let's hold the let's hold our horses. You know, we you never know who the hell we're getting. Uh, who, Drury could be hitting three thirty, and he could be at the All Star game this summer. Who who knows? Um, but. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Nick that you said he played one game at third base last year and he made an error in that game. Yeah, it's, it's and he's far from he's a well. he has been hitting well during spring training though. I think he's
2: hitting he a three hundred foot. And all the so, Brandon Burley apologists will say about his errors is that they say Chase Field's infield plays fast, so it's hard on infielders. And that sounds like oh my goodness!
1: <laughs> and you ought to be thrown in the pool at Chase Field if you really think that's a thing.
2: That's a joke of, a, of of an apology.
0: Um, you know, I think I hate to keep going with over and under, just simply games, but I think Drury it's going to be a good over and under. One hundred and twenty-five games played for Brandon Drury this season. I'm gonna say
1: over. I'm gonna I'm gonna go over begrudgingly, just because I think that. And Duhar is going to get moved, um, and you know Torres. I think I think Torres is going to come up at some point. I don't necessarily know if he'll he'll be starting. By the way, uh, Luigi, let's. How's your uh, Torres and and Duhar will be starting by the end of the year? That's not looking very good uh, either. Your your bold prediction there. Um,
0: we're, we're working on it. That's why I yeah, said. We're right it. Well,
1: I, I hope I hope to God you stay right, man. I I really do. But yeah, man. I think. And Duhar is going to be moved, and so there's really not going to be a threat to third base for uh, Drury. I think that Torres' profile is profiles a lot better as a second baseman. And so without any under threat, you know, Drury very well could play, you know, upwards of 100 to 140 to 150 games at, at third base. And I'm not really a fan of that proposition, but I guess I better just hope for the best and hope that uh, the little engine that could uh, prophecy uh, story storybook that we have here uh, comes to life.
0: <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go slightly under because i think that he's gonna struggle a bit i think that he might get his job taken i think i'm gonna go with 115 120 because i don't know 130 140 games would be a lot for drury and i don't know i don't see him getting there but yeah the the whole little engine that could thing that was an article that one of our writers wrote titled Labeling Drury as the little engine that could and uh, the
1: curious case of Brandon
0: Drury. Cu- curi- yeah, you know, not the not the curious case of Benjamin Button, but the curious <laughs> case of Brandon Drury. And yeah, so yeah, we're gonna do a lot. I'm not trying to do uh, a lot of predictions for the over and unders because we're gonna make a lot of predictions in our preview show the week before the season starts. But yeah, I think uh, it's a lot of the game totals or how many games guys will play is uh, still up in the air. So so let's go to our final pin track preview. And I saved the best for last. Uh, It's, it's the guy that finished third in Cy Young voting last year. It's the guy that had the, had the hardest fastball amongst starting pitchers in baseball last year. And that is none other than Luis Severino. And guys, can you believe Seve just turned 24 last month? I mean, the guy, it seems like he's been with the Yankees for so much longer than just a few years. Um, and I actually wrote the pinch track preview for Seve. And you know, I, I said what what a roller coaster it's been for him. I mean, his first year he comes out, he looks great. I mean he's I think he has like a two point eight nine. He only I think he only started eleven games, but he looked really good, really promising. And then that twenty sixteen season was just bad. I mean, he was he was legitimately one of the worst starting pitchers in baseball that year. Um Saved a little with the bull uh, when he went to the bullpen. Did a lot better, but last year was just really, really a promising year. And I know, I say this so often, like just think if Judge, if there was no Judge last year, and a storyline like Severino just gets so much more coverage. Your storyline like Gumby, because uh, Severino, what he did last year to go from being one of the worst starting pitchers in baseball to being to finish finishing third in ASI unvoting behind Kluber and Sale. Was just nothing short of spectacular. So, but you know, he did he did struggle in the wild card game. Uh, struggled is an understatement in the wild card game. Uh, didn't exactly pitch lights out of the postseason. So he still showed a bit of those uh bit of those young nerves, right? But do you guys? Here's the question I'm gonna pose for Seve: Do you guys see Seve remaining as the ace of the staff this year? I know I know what Nick's answer is gonna be. But do you guys see him staying the, the guy throughout the year, or do you think Tanaka or uh, Gray is going to take that role over?
1: Well, I've kind of made my case about Gray in, in previous podcasts, and I'll I'll stick to that. Um, Severino, man, like like Luigi said, what what a roller coaster! I remember when he came up in 2015. My dad and I went to. I think it was either a second or third start. In Cleveland, and that that dude battled. Uh, he, he clearly didn't have his best stuff that day, but I, if I remember right, he only gave up like two runs in like six or seven innings, which for a rookie pitcher is is extraordinary. Um, and he was blowing people away last year; like he was just flat out dominant. So, I think as Luigi mentioned, uh, when it came to the playoffs, I don't. I think a lot of us are are labeling his struggles as nerves, and I think that certainly played into it. But I don't think that we should downplay the fact that he threw 100, 193 innings, and that's the most he's thrown at the major league level, um, like ever. So I, th- I think that caught up with him. And kind of as a result of that, I expect him to take a slight step back next year. I think instead of like a sub three ERA, I'll say he'll have like a three, two, three, three ERA around 200 innings pitched, 200 strikeouts. I don't think it's going to be bad, but. When I when I say that I think Gray is going to be the ace, and I'm going to stick to that. Um, I just that's more a reflection on what I think Gray can do than Severino. Uh, but you know, Severino's had his, his very good year, uh, first full year as a starter in the big leagues, and you know he pitched very well. But now the league the league knows who he is, and they know what to expect from him. And I, there's just going to be an adjustment phase that I think it's natural for all for all intents and purposes, this is going to be his sophomore year as a starter. Um, last year, I, you could probably label his first like rookie year as a starter. If you want, obviously he's not a rookie just talking about as a starter, a full season in the bigs. So I expect him to just take a slight step back. I don't think it's going to be anything like, Oh wow. He went from a sub three RA to like a four. I'm not, I'm not predicting that, but I, I mean, I expect him to be not far behind gray. Um, and who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. It, you know, I think the most people Severino is clearly the pick to repeat. That's what the numbers say. So who knows? I'm just glad he turned out to be a starter because, man, how disappointing would it have been if, you know, a guy this caliber and this talent ended up in the bullpen. And that's what I – it just frustrates the crap out of me every time a guy who's, you know, brought up through the minors as oh, he's going to be such a good starter, ends up in the bullpen. So, mm-hmm. man – 2017 could not have gone any better for Severino. And I think we're in for pretty close to to round two for that. Just again, growing pains. So that's how I look at Severino for 2018.
0: Now, Andrew, real quick before you gave your thoughts on Severino, I just wanted to read some of his numbers from last year. He had a 2.9 ADRA, 10.71 strikeouts per nine, a 13% swinging strike, a swinging strike rate. I thought that was impressive. And a 65% first pitch strike rate. So, those are just some. In, I, I'm really not like a big, you know, inside the numbers guy, but he. Those are some impressive numbers. I mean, he was, like I said, he literally threw. he like, reminded me of Verlander. Like I remember when Verlander just used to. Oh yeah. Back into that, he was be throwing his no hitters. His fastest pitch of the game would be on pitch 104 in the eighth inning, and Severino would do that a lot last year too, where he'd be just hit sitting at 97, 98 at 100 pitches, and you'd say to yourself, "Damn, that's some that's some prime Verlander stuff right there." But so yeah, Andrew, what do you uh, what do you see Severino's 2018 holding for him?
2: No, first off, I I do want to say the uh, the Justin Verlander, the young Justin Verlander comparison is really good. That that's one thing that you know really impressed me most uh, about Severino last year. If you guys remember, it was that five man battle for two rotation spots, and Severino won it as I believe the fourth of the five stars, and then Combi got the fifth star spot. We had no idea what to expect from him last year. I think going into into this year. Um, I, the most recent we've seen him was, was in the playoffs. I'm going to say I wasn't concerned about the wild card game. Some may say it nerves. I think he was over-hyped. He was throwing 90. His first pitch of the game was 99 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour. I, if you're nervous, you know maybe you throw one at the backstop. You kind of have no idea. He was dialed in to dialed into a fault. Uh, and, and I think the big thing that we have to watch with Severino this year is just going to be the innings limit. He's never thrown... Uh, 190 mornings before last season. And, and similar to what Nick said, I, I think he's going to regress a little bit, not so much that he's going to be a, a middle of the rotation starter. I think he's going to be in name in theory, the ACE. Do so I think he's going to have the best stats uh, of all five stars this year. Maybe not, but I, I still think he'll, he'll carry that, that ACE status. Uh, one thing we, we do have to watch again is just his ability to control his emotions and not overthrow I think the risk of of injury is greater this year because he throws so hard, and also because of the career high workload last year. So if he can mitigate those those concerns uh, and keep razor focused, he may be in line for a very similar stat line to what we saw last year. Again, I don't think he's going to throw to a sub three ERA again, but he'll be very good again.
0: Yeah, you just, really, because a guy that pitches in his style, it's just so easy for him to just overthrow. And he really, he's got to realize that he doesn't have to overthrow. He's got to let it fly. Because, I mean, it was so, he's one, Severino is one of those guys that, you know, like I love Tanaka. And Tanaka, you know, when he's dominant, it's fun to watch him. But Severino, man, he's like watching a fighter just knock someone out, like every fight. I mean, he just overpowers guys. It's. Impressive to watch. But he's twenty he just turned twenty-four. I mean, I, I really can't get over that. When you especially when you consider Judge is what, Judge is twenty-six. Like so many of these like Sanchez, I think is twenty-six. And there's Severino still still five, six full years before he turns thirty. Um such a bright future ahead of him. But yeah, I've I've been saying it all month that it's gonna be some race. It's gonna be some three horse race between Gray, Tanaka, and Severino to see who who's gonna be the ace because Going into last year, it was Tanaka, and there really weren't that many questions about that Tanaka was coming off a great year. He was just the, the king of the spring, and you know, to not like Severino, you're right, Andrew, like you said, Severino was fighting for a rotation spot. Let alone, for, let alone uh, fighting for an ace spot, he was fighting for a, just a spot in the rotation. So, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be very compelling to see who gets that who gets the ball and the big games because it was Severino going into last October. But, you know, it turns out it should have been Tanaka, right? And I know that's, you know, that's hindsight, but Tanaka was phenomenal in the postseason last year. So, you know, let's over let's do an over and under for Severino 3.20 ERA because he had a 2.98 ERA last year. And I found this interesting. We, we, let's just keep it rolling with the, uh, doing the projections for baseball reference. They only have him projected at a three point six five ERA, so they have him due for a pretty big drop off in ERA. So, what do you guys think? Over or under three point two zero ERA for seven?
1: That's tough, man. I want to push. I I called right on three two. I'll go. I'll <laughs> go slightly. I'll go slightly over. Let's say three point two five. Yeah, a three six five is pretty brutal. That is some tremendous regression. I'm not sure. Yeah if there's some underlying number that we're missing somewhere, but I mean, and they only have him projected for 177 uh, strikeouts. Maybe here's where it all comes down to is they only have him pegged for 158 innings. So clearly they're looking at something and saying, you know, he might miss time to injury or something like that, which I suppose with the, the, you know, massive innings load he had last year, um, at least relative to, to his experience in the MLB that could play into it. I would I can't get behind that. I don't think he's going to step back that much. His stuff is just too good.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go slightly under. I'm going to say he finishes around a 3.15, 3.110 maybe. Yeah, I think he's still going to be the ace. I think he's going to keep that ace role. I think Tanaka and Gray are both going to have really good years, but I think Sevi is just going to remain that guy as – like, look, you, you have to look at guys who are most likely to shut you down. And I think Sevi's going to be that guy where he's probably going to have nine, ten starts over the year where he's just unhittable, whereas Tanaka and Gray, I think, might not have as many. And I think Boone's going to recognize that, and I think Boone's going to go with the guy that <laughs> – no one, no starting pitcher throws harder than Seve, right? And that's, that's what you want out of your race. I know that's such like a broad way to look at it, but you just have – you love guys with the overpowering stuff. I mean, I know I do. But so, Andy, you going over or under for Seve?
2: I'm going to say over, uh, and I think it's actually going to be closer to, to the three five and, and to no fault. Um, oh, I, I don't
0: absolutely
2: think, not. Uh, part of me thinks is that he he's the guy who can go out and, and shut the opponent down, but he also maybe due for for two or three serious implosion starts this year, he gives up like six, seven, eight earned runs, which will it, you know artificially, well, not really artificially, but it'll it'll unfortunately inflate his ERA. Uh, so much so that he can throw, you know, a couple, a, a string of six, seven innings, two, three earned runs, uh, and and that one bad start, will, will still weigh on it. I, I think that, due to the fact that he's going to have, ideally, pushed a second year for a career high workload, he's going to have a few starts that all that that'll taint the the ERA a little bit, but not by any means make, you know, tarnish his season. Right, right. So, yep,
0: Seve. We're gonna we're gonna see if Seve can uh look if he does what he did last year, then this guy's establishing himself as one of the elite pitchers in baseball. Like it's simple as that. What he did, if he could put together a few of those uh 2017 seasons, man, that's that's something to like because look, guys, like look, it surprised me. It really did surprise me when. He had the stat that he, you know, ninety. I think his fastball average at ninety-seven point six, and that was the hardest amongst, start. Obviously, not amongst all pitchers, but amongst starting pitchers in baseball. And, you know, I thought I thought there'd be a guy that threw harder than that, but nope. It's the twenty. It was the twenty-three year old Luis Severino. And those are our pinstripe previews for the day. We'll we'll do three more the next show, like we always do. We're go- we're going to start running out of pinstripe previews. Uh, we still haven't done Judge. There's. A few other big names we still haven't done and uh yeah, so that's our show and you guys got anything else i just
1: want to say um to everybody following us look out we got a really good uh new intro with a uh, nickelback um on the track uh, that we're going to be playing at the beginning of our uh, uh our episodes here in the future this is actually all luigi's idea um i didn't yeah, realize um, he was I, he was such a big Nickelback guy, guy.
0: I look, I just I have one rule. We're trying to work out an intro. We're trying to work out a theme song. These are all things we're trying to do. And I have one rule. And that is no nickelback. I will See, not I will not host a podcast that nickelback has is is Nickel like Nickelback is like Applebee's song.
1: I've I've said it before, nickelback's like Applebee's. Everybody likes to make fun of it because it's the cool thing to do, but everybody secretly yeah. likes it everybody exactly. secretly likes it look man and i i was kind of on that train at the start of last year and then my buddy from work said hey man let's let's go to a nickelback concert i'm like i'll go for the irony like i'm sure this is gonna be bad and then i went and i was like wow these guys rock hard and look man if you don't like nickelback personally i think you should learn to like nickelback because the ladies like nickelback and there was a lot of them there at that concert so you
0: know, just some words um, of wisdom just throwing if, that out there i'm not just on the nickelback train i'm on the bus i'm on the plane i'm on the bike i'm on the skate i'm on every i'm, I'm on going all- over the
1: edge into I the am, abyss
0: yeah i'm i'm gonna die on no I hate nickelback mountain so
1: uh yeah we'll work on that let, yeah, we'll let us know in the it. comments
0: what's your opinion
1: on nickelback how much do you love them on a scale of like um, 10 to 20 because you know it's I'm at least sure a 10. lot
0: of i'm sure a lot of uh, egg avatars will be answering that one Because no one's gonna be showing their face. I'm sure a lot of
1: beach ball avatars will be answering that one because that's what you do—is you push a beach ball at the Nickelback concert.
0: Oh, yeah. Well,
1: (laughs) Well, before uh, Luigi dies of cringe, we better wrap this up.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I just, (laughs) I might, uh, yeah, I'm not even gonna say anything else because eaters. So so. after show, uh, remember we're on iTunes, rate us five stars. We're on SoundCloud. We're on, of course, we're on YouTube right now. We're on YouTube. So. We're on a lot of different mediums now, so hit us up. Rate us five stars and eaters. Thanks for sticking
2: with us, guys, tonight.